Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. We are one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. For more information about who we are and where we meet, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I'd like to invite you to think about a time where you may have prayed in a moment of panic. If anything comes to mind, I will share one with you, if that might help you to think of a situation for yourself. And I have a very recent example, unfortunately. So last month, I went to Disneyland Paris with a friend of mine. And I was very excited for all the Disney magic, all the childhood vibes, you know, a little bit of a lighthearted moment there. And I totally seemed to forget in booking onto this trip that I have developed a bit of a fear of heights and I'm not much of an adrenaline junkie these days. So I'm not sure why I thought a theme park would be a good idea, but there you go. And this didn't quite set in. Oh dear, what's happening here? Uh, This didn't quite set in, this realisation, until I was queuing up for my first big thrill ride with my friend And uh, I started to remember that I have this fear of heights and adrenaline, like I say. Um, But I wasn't going to let her ride these things alone, obviously. That would be no fun at all. Thank you for the assistance with that. (laughs) Thank you. And yes, I wasn't going to let her queue up for all these rides for hours on end on her own and ride them on her own. So I swallowed my fear and I got on with it. And it wasn't until I sat down and I was being strapped in, you know, full harness across the chest, all of that, that I really started to panic. I turned to my friend, I said, are we going to fall out right now? Am I going to fall out with you for making me come here? She's just laughing her head off. She thought that was hilarious. And then as the ride slowly crept up to what was obviously going to be an inevitable big drop at the end, I just started to say out loud, Lord, help me, Jesus, save me. And I think people around me were probably like, what is going on here? Then I started to sing, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice like this. My friend's just like crying with laughter. And soon my my singing was obviously cut off by screaming because the ride zoomed into the air. And I have lived to tell the tale. Here I am um, today. I stand before you. I didn't die. I was fine. The Lord saved me. Nothing went wrong. And I'm happy to say I actually developed a little bit more of an adrenaline junkie drive whilst I was there and enjoyed myself and rode said ride again for fun. So there you go. The Lord redeems. Anyway, (laughs) my point of telling you this story is not to give an impression that I am holier than thou. Because in my moment of panic, I was like, Lord, save me, rather than swearing or doing something a little bit more uncouth, if you like. That's not the point of the story. The point is to say that we can often come to God in a moment of panic, in a moment of sheer desperation, perhaps the turbulence on the plane, and you're like, is now the time I'm going to believe? Rather than coming to God as a first resort and building prayer as a priority into our lives So this morning, we're continuing our series on Nehemiah, on building for the Lord, and Isaac nicely started this off for us last week. Um, And I'm going to tell you a little bit about the book before we get into the passage. So the book of Nehemiah is believed to have been written by Ezra, and Ezra is the book right before in the Bible. And it was previously thought that these two books were actually one sort of part of the same story. And it takes place whilst the Israelites have been exiled from Egypt or kicked out of Egypt Uh, for quite a long time by the Babylonians. So this story is thought to take place about 75 years after that exile. So their beautiful temple, everything that they had there has been destroyed. And fast forward to the time we're reading, and this guy Nehemiah that we're reading about, 
He's working for a Persian king with a complicated name, which I'm not going to attempt to say. Um, you can read it if you like. <laughs> he's working for a Persian king, that's the point. And he's quite far away. But his heart is still where he's from. He's still thinking about Israel, which is the place where he is from. And his heart really breaks for this place and the fact that it's still in ruins. And he's heard that there are some people that are going and trying to rebuild there. And his heart really breaks for this. He wants to be a part of this. And what he's also heard in the verses before, which Isaac will have come across for us last week, is that the city still has no city walls. So the people are feeling troubled. They're feeling worried, frightened, vulnerable about this. They're trying to rebuild something without any protection around it, basically. So his heart breaks for this. And instead of rushing out the door to go and sort it out, he comes to God in prayer to ask for permission and favour to come and rebuild these walls and sort them out. So this morning, as we unpick the priority of prayer in building for God, we're going to read these verses and see how Nehemiah comes to God and how he prays. So these verses should come up on the screen behind me. I'm going to read them to you as well. We're in Nehemiah 1, if you want to follow along in a Bible or a phone Bible. But if not, it will be on the next slide. So Nehemiah 1, starting in verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even, your exiled, if, even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people who you have redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Amazing. So within these verses, we are hearing Nehemiah's prayer to God effectively and him asking God for permission to rebuild these walls, like I said before. So for context, like I said, Nehemiah no longer lives in Jerusalem or even anywhere near, to be honest with you. And he and the other Jews have been exiled many years before and he is in Persia far away. And he's not the first man to want to rebuild these walls or want to rebuild this city. And if you look in the book before, in Ezra, there were attempts made previously and these were unsuccessful because the king at the time was not happy with this and he did not want the Jews to go back. So he put stops in place, basically. And you can read about that in Ezra 4 if you'd like to. But when I first read this, excusing my ignorance, I wasn't super sure why you would need city walls, to be honest with you. I got the point but we don't exactly have city walls around Manchester, for example. So I wasn't entirely sure on the relevance of this and why it was so important as a part of the rebuilding. So I did a bit of research, obviously, as you do. 
Um, and in the times of Nehemiah, city walls were absolutely imperative to the protection and the prosperity of a city. Without them, you would be witness or subject to an attack at any time from any kind of oppositional group. And living there, you would have felt incredibly anxious and worried. And I suppose that's why, in verse 3 before that we haven't read, that says why the people are in great trouble. So not only are they in physical safety, you know, physical safety is compromised, but emotionally they would just feel so anxious and scared about attack at any point. And I suppose a less prevalent but more modern example of this would be like living in Fallowfield without a lock on your door, <laughs> right? Those that have lived in Fallowfield or live in Fallowfield currently. It's not a good idea. You would feel constantly worried. You probably wouldn't sleep well at night thinking, is someone going to try and break into my house at any point? I imagine it's kind of a similar feeling to what it would have felt like to not have city walls. So this passage is great for us in unpicking and recognising the priority of prayer. And at this time when Nehemiah developed this sort of heart burden for these city walls and for his people that were still there, he didn't just spring into action and rush off and start getting on with it. He came first to God in prayer. And Nehemiah, as a man of God, recognised that he first needed to approach his father for his blessing and for his permission to do this. He seems to grasp that without God's blessing and without God's favour, this might not be successful like it wasn't for the people before in the story of Ezra. And we too can often make attempts to do things in our own strength and go off and do them on our own and perhaps ask God to retrospectively bless us. But Nehemiah beautifully models to us in these verses, in this passage, how to prioritise prayer before we go off and build for God. So I'm going to unpick some different ways that Nehemiah prays and how we can consider these components in our own prayers to God. And I'm not saying that there is a set way that you have to pray. You can absolutely come to God in any way as your full self. And you can have a structure to do in that as well. But he gives us some good points that we can look through. So we'll come on to those together now. So firstly, I'm going to talk about how Nehemiah demonstrates authenticity in his prayers. And he bears his true heart to God. So in verse 4, if you're still following along with me, it says how Nehemiah fasts and prays day and night. And he sits and he cries to God about the situation for his city and his people. He is completely being genuine with God right now about how he feels. He's not coming to God saying, God, everything's great. God, you're so great. He's crying. He's, he's on his knees. He's crying. He's, he's really being honest with God. It isn't a routine prayer that he's doing for the sake of it. He is coming to God, bearing his whole heart about this situation. And again, I'm not saying you can't talk to God in a structured way. But what I am saying is, God knows your heart anyway. Why not just be honest with him about how you are feeling? That is okay. God knows how you're feeling with, before you even say it. So why not just be honest and cry out to him when you need to? And we see here that when we are most genuine with God, this is when he's more likely to hear us and move on our behalf, right? However ugly that might be. I found that for myself. However ugly those prayers might be to God, he hears that, he sees that, he wants to know your true heart and how you truly feel. And in order for God to do something great through Nehemiah in the rebuilding of the walls, he first wanted to do something great in Nehemiah's heart by breaking his heart for something that God's heart was broken for. And that totally reminds me of an old Hillsong banger, for those that know it, um, Hosanna. 
Break my heart for what breaks yours. I love that lyric. I see some nodding going on for those that love it too. Um, if you want a more sort of official one, I suppose in the Bible it also says, <laughs> um, in Ezekiel 26, 36, um, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And what this means is when we come into a relationship with God, he promises us a new heart. And a part of that is that our heart is burdened or our heart is broken for issues of injustice that God's heart also breaks for. And things that also sadden God, we are saddened by. So Nehemiah isn't just sad about the situation in Jerusalem because he's from there and because there is people. He's also saddened by it because he has a relationship with God and he knows that God is saddened by the fact that this city is in ruins and they have no protection. And when God places a burden on our hearts, it's not just like a fleeting sadness that's there for a little bit and then goes away. It's not that you've watched an advert about abandoned puppies and you've shed a tear and then five minutes later you're not bothered again. It's not the point. It is a passion that continues with you until you're at a point to partner with God and address that burden that he's placed on your heart. And I want you to think this morning about yourself personally. What is an issue? What is a heart burden that you have, that you are moved for? What is a people group? And perhaps as we come into worship later, you can bear that in mind and you can speak to God about that. I have friends across this room and outside of it that are deeply moved for certain nations, for certain people groups, for those experiencing homelessness, for children. There are so many different things that God can burden our hearts for and break our hearts for. And like Nehemiah, we can partner with God in these areas to see change. For me, it's vulnerable young people. And over the years, God has deeply broken my heart to work with young people and have a passion for them, those that are rejected by others and by their own families at times. So yeah, have a think about that. Lord, what are you breaking my heart for this morning? And coming into verse five, we see that after Nehemiah has poured his heart out to God and his tears, he praises God. This is such a key part of his prayers. He doesn't start by moaning at God or asking him for anything. He's just acknowledging God for who he is. He calls him the great and awesome God. And he comes into God's presence with praise, with thanksgiving. And by doing so, he acknowledges that God is the powerful one that's able to move here. He's not detracting from the fact that he's in pain and that he's burdened, but he's not forgetting to praise God and give him thanksgiving for who he is. And when we praise God, even in our pain, we lift our eyes and we lift our spirits with thanksgiving. And in the last year, I've had to push myself so many times in prayer and say, God, this situation is not good, but you are. God, I can't see a victory, but thank you that yours is the victory. And in doing this, we give God the praise that he deserves as we pray. And as we hope in him, we lift our spirits and we lift our eyes out of this dark situation that we find ourselves in. Prayer gives us strength. And as the very famously quoted Isaiah 40, 31 says, uh, those that hope in the Lord will renew their strength. It's absolutely a true thing. When we praise God, we rebuild our hope and that rebuilds our strength. And Nehemiah knows this and that's why he does it. So we need to let the Lord do this for us daily every day that we come to him, we praise him, we let him renew our strength. So after he has praised God in verse seven, we see that Nehemiah confesses his sins to God. And again, this links to being honest and genuine with God, letting God know, I've let you down, Lord. 
I have. I've done something. I've let you down. He doesn't shift blame, which is really easy to do. But instead, he lets God know that him and his people have let him down. They've done wrong and they need forgiveness. He says they need restoration. And I think he means for their hearts as well as for their city. He knows his people have not followed the commandments given by Moses and they've turned their backs on God effectively. And for us, this might look like letting God know daily where we've fallen short. It's saying, God, I know I gossip today and that's not something you want me to do. I know I was jealous of someone's new job or relationship today and that's not how you want me to think. Lord, I'm sorry I was short-tempered today. I know you are so patient and slow to anger with me. It's as simple as that. Like I said earlier, God knows your heart, but he already knows what you've done as well. So you might as well just be honest with him like Nehemiah is being. He loves it when we come to him with confession because this shows we have humility and we recognise our dependence on him. And what is so beautiful about our God is that he is so full of grace that he forgives us every time, no questions asked. He is quick to forgive and we just have to confess where we've fallen short and receive forgiveness like Nehemiah did. And Nehemiah knows that prayer is powerful and it's effective and situations change because of it. So he therefore petitions God to move in this situation. And in doing this, Nehemiah does something else that we can do, which is he quotes scripture back to God in his prayer. And that's in verses eight and nine. He tells God to remember the promises that he made to Moses. And he quotes Deuteronomy and Leviticus in doing this. So he says, remember the instruction you gave Moses saying, if you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even your exiled people at the farthest horizon, I'll gather them and I'll bring them to a place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. And Nehemiah recognises that the people have been exiled partly because of their own sin. And he's now asking God, okay, Lord, you've kept your promise about the exile, but keep your promise about bringing us back as well. We are ready to receive you again, Lord. And he actually has no guarantee that his people are going to do this when he comes to God and says it. But he knows that he is going to. So he is presenting himself to God, saying, God, I'm ready to repent. I'm ready to do things your way again. And us asking God to remember is a really powerful way to approach him. When we ask him to remember how he has brought others through and built with them, we show him that we know our scripture, we know his promises, and we know his heart. And we know that we're praying in line with God's heart when we pray using scripture as well. A verse that I've held on to a lot in the past year and would remind God of is Psalm 30 verse 5, which is weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. And what this is saying is, God, I'm using your words to remind you that I know things might be painful right now. I know things may be hard right now, but I know that you promise joy at the other side of it. And we can incorporate using scripture in our prayers at any point. And like I say, it's not about this being a rigid structure, but your heart's cry will probably relate to somebody else's in the Bible at some point. And you can use that to remind God of how he has brought others through. Something else that Nehemiah does beautifully in his prayers is interceding for others, praying for other people. He's, of course, including himself in these prayers about his own heartbreak for the situation, about his own sin. But he's also praying on behalf of his people. 
And in verse 10, he says to God, they're your people who you, you have redeemed by your mighty hand and your great strength. He wants his people to be blessed. And he links his request to God's glory, saying how God has already redeemed them and again reminding God of what he has done for them. And I think he displays great leadership by doing this, by praying for others and, yeah, interceding for other people. That is a real role of leadership, which we are all called to do. And this interceding foreshadows the best intercessor of all, and that is Jesus. He who bridges the gap on our behalf, who took upon our sin and shame so that we could have access to God. He is the great intercessor. And Nehemiah is showing here in the Old Testament before Jesus was born that that is something we can do for others. We can pray for them. We can petition God for them. We are all called to do this, to look outside of ourselves, to pray for our friends, to pray for our family, to pray for our nation and for people groups that we care about. And I know there's testimonies of people around the room here today who have prayed for family members to become saved for years and then they finally have. There is great power in prayer and petition to the Lord. And coming towards the end of the passage here, right after verse 11, you may have noticed that I read a seemingly random verse, which was, I was cupbearer to the king. And that might seem very easy to skim over because it does seem quite random. And some of you may even be thinking, oh, well, it's just a bit of Old Testament funniness, you know, the Old Testament's a bit interesting here and again. But actually, I'd like to challenge us to think that every part of scripture is God-breathed and is important, and there is a reason for that being there. So this, I was cupbearer to the king, obviously demonstrates the job that Nehemiah had. And there is an important relevance to this of the story. It's a foreshadowing here. So the cupbearer was quite a prominent role in Nehemiah's time. It was in the king's court. And the job of the cupbearer was to test the wine and the food that the king was going to eat to ensure it wasn't poisoned. So you would need to be quite a trustworthy person to have this job. If you were somebody that wasn't trustworthy, you would maybe be open to compromise and someone could maybe ask you to poison the king and pretend to take a sip or whatever. So he was clearly a trustworthy man to have this job. And the important thing about this as well is that he had a lot of access to the king. Obviously, the king would be eating and drinking on a daily basis. So the cupbearer would spend a lot of time with him and would presumably have built a bit of a relationship with him and would talk to the king whilst he was there as well. And I say all of this to say that God knew he was going to use Nehemiah before Nehemiah knew why he was in that job. If Nehemiah wasn't cupbearer to the king, he wouldn't have had the access that he needed for the king to go and ask him to rebuild the city walls. God knew this. He wrote this beautiful story for Nehemiah before Nehemiah knew why he was there. And he got that job because God knew he needed that permission from the king and that position in his court. He knew, God knew that Nehemiah was going to be used for his glory before Nehemiah knew why he was there. And I just think this is such a beautiful plan, a beautiful show of God's plan for us in Nehemiah's story. And I want to share with you this morning a little bit about how God's done something in my own life regarding a job. So almost exactly two years ago, we had a guest speaker come to church and she didn't know me and I didn't know her. And I was right at the back of the room and she picked me out and she had a prophetic word to me, which is, which is like where she felt that God told her something about me, basically. And part of what she said 
was that I was going to be like Jackie Pullinger. Now, for those of you that don't know, Jackie Pullinger is an incredible woman of faith who um, has written books about her story of going to Hong Kong and working with young people in gangs and with prostitutes and with people just experiencing really difficult situations and lives. She had incredible faith. She saw crazy healings. All these gang members become um, Christians and she was just amazing. And I don't know why it's taken me so long to read her book, Chasing the Dragon, but I've only started reading it in the last month, just finished it. And I'd really recommend, by the way, it's amazing if you want to know more about her. But anyway, I've been reading this book in the last month and alongside that in my own life, in early December, I really felt unsettled at work and I really felt like God wanted me to apply for a new job. So I did that. And I was then incredibly disappointed that I didn't hear back about this job for like five weeks. I never heard about my application. Nothing came of it after a lot of chasing. And I decided instead of running ahead and applying for other things and trying to sort things out my own way, a little bit like Nehemiah, I was like, God, I feel like you've really spoken to me about this. You've really given me a piece about this. I'm just going to wait on you and praise you and let you know that I'm disappointed. I'm going to be genuine about that. I then heard back, like I say, over a month later, had an interview in early January and got off of the job on that day. And this week, I'm talking to you after finishing my first week there. And for those of you that don't know what this job is, I am coming onto the link there with Jackie Pullinger. So I am now working with young people that have been criminally and sexually exploited by gangs in Greater Manchester. And this is an area that God has absolutely broken my heart for over recent years. And I didn't realise until I was about to start the job a couple of weeks ago how that guest speaker had spoken that over me two years ago. And I never realised the link of it either. At the time, I thought, Am I going to Hong Kong? Like, well, I don't know. You know, I didn't know what the link was to that, but God did. God writes beautiful stories like he did for Nehemiah, like he's done for me and like he does for all of you here as well this morning. So this shows us that when we prioritise God in our labour before trying to do things on our own, he blesses us and he comes through. And in Romans 8, 28, we are told that we know for all things, God works for the good of those who love, it, love him and are called according to his purpose. Just like Nehemiah, God is looking to work good, his good in your purpose and in mine. And you can absolutely go about life doing things on your own and not bringing them to God. And perhaps only coming to him in that moment of panic at the top of the roller coaster or whilst the turbulence is dropping through the air. That's, that's your prerogative to do that. Or perhaps you can come to God a bit more often. You've already applied for the job. You've already chosen to move cities. You've already started the new relationship. And you can do all of that and then say, oh God, would you bless this, please? Or you can come to God like Nehemiah did, right at the beginning. You can look to prayer as the first resort, the first action before you take a change and before you build towards something in your life. Instead of storming off to ask your boss to take time off like Nehemiah could have, you can look to God in prayer. Ask him to lay the first bricks. Ask him to lay the foundations for the walls that you want to build. We know that he is the firmest foundation to build on and the only one that will never fail. 
And I challenge you to build this kind of prayer into your daily routine with God. Absolutely keep talking to God in the mundane, asking him for a parking space and all of that stuff. He loves to talk to his children. But if we can pray with some of these principles like Nehemiah, we will see God move in our situations and we'll hear him speak on the decisions that we take day to day about our lives as we consider how we can build prayer as a priority in our lives and how we can ask God, where is my heart breaking, Lord? Where are you breaking my heart for what Thanks for listening. Christchurch Manchester is one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. To explore this sermon or learn more about our church, please navigate to the links provided in this podcast description. From there, you can connect with us on social media. And you're welcome to check out the music links featured in this episode from our very own musicians. You can also discover current events and information about where we meet on Sundays and various groups or community projects that you can join in with. If you're interested in knowing more about us or wish to join us for one of our meetings, please reach out. Simply drop us an email at hello at ccm.org.uk. We look forward to connecting with you.